Today's New Testament lesson is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something that they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. What a wonderful word for us today on this Trinity Sunday. We're especially grateful to Corey Caldwell for reading our scripture today and to Allison, to all of our leaders, uh, Laura, for an unforgettable children's sermon again and to our worship ensemble. We're so grateful uh, for the music and the message that you have shared with us today and all of our musicians. If you have been with us over the last couple of months, you know that we're continuing today in this series on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, some of you may be joining us for the first time at your kitchen table or on your back porch, on your sofa, wherever you are. And I want to bring you up to date because last week uh, we paused just a moment to celebrate Pentecost, the source of our spiritual fruit. The fruits of the Spirit are essentially the supernatural outgrowth or the produce of a life that is increasingly dying to itself and living to Christ. The fruits are the characteristics or you might call them the attributes of one who is saved by grace, who is beginning slowly but surely to look a lot like Jesus. Now, I don't have to tell you that this is not an instantaneous thing Fruit never ripens overnight. In fact, you've discovered, as have I, again and again, that sanctification can be so painfully slow. But if we abide in Him and His Spirit abides in us, then this is what life looks like. It looks like love. It looks like joy. It looks like peace. It looks like patience. It looks like kindness. 
And today, Laura has beat me to the punch. I want us to think for a few minutes about the fruit of goodness. Now, you see this word in some form twice in the Galatians 6 passage that Corey has read for us. First of all, in verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. And then a second time in verse 10, let us do good to all people as we have opportunity, especially in the family of faith. That word goodness comes from the Greek root, root agathos, agathos, which literally means one who is intrinsically good, one who is innately good, one who is by nature good. Laura mentioned in her children's sermon, the creation account, the creation poem in Genesis 1, where on the sixth day, on the day that God created humanity, God scooped up a handful of dust and breathed his spirit into it and said, it is very good. Now, his affirmation there is slightly different from the previous five days. On those days, after God made blue jays and and bluegill, caterpillars and grasshoppers, he said, that's good. But on day six, after making you and me, he essentially said, this is my best. I can do no better than this. I have outdone myself today. In Psalm chapter 8, when the psalmist is sort of reflecting on God's creation of humanity, he says this, Thou hast made us a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned us with glory and honor. In essence, what he's saying is, very good. I was in a Zoom conference with some of our staff this week, and and while we were meeting, Adam Jones, our youth director, interrupted the conference by introducing to us his two-week-old baby girl. Her name is Jane Bradley Jones. I already refer to her as JB. When he introduced this child to us, we completely forgot what the conversation was. We didn't remember what we were doing, and it didn't matter. The meeting was over at that point. And for the next 15 minutes, We were absolutely lost in wonder, love, and praise. And all we could do was smile and in essence say, very good. But if you move on from Genesis 1 to the affirmation of God, very good, to Genesis 3, you find that that which was very good becomes not so good. In fact, you begin to see that those of us who are a little lower than the angels may sometimes be a little higher than the serpent. And we begin to come to grips with the fact that we're fallen creatures. We begin to come to grips with the fact that you know, by virtue of being human, that we have this inclination, don't we, to go our own way, to do our own thing, to mind our own voice. And sometimes we just can't help ourselves. We are prone to disrespect. We are prone sometimes. We are bent towards disregarding God, or worse, using God for my own good. There are times that all of us can remember, and perhaps today is one of them, I want to live life on my own terms without respect to any authority other than me. 
And Paul is clear that when we do that, we're beginning to sow to the flesh rather than the spirit. Isaiah was right in chapter 53. It's the ugly truth that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And we discover in no uncertain terms that it's really hard to be good without God. In fact, ironically, providentially, that word good is derived from the word for God. But we have a tendency to corrupt the good. We have a tendency because of our fallen nature to degrade, to tarnish the image of God. And I tell you that no amount of moralistic window dressing can fix our sin problem. It is thematic in Galatians, the letter that Paul writes, that even the law cannot make you good. He says the law is like a principal in a high school. They can't make you do the good thing, but there are consequences to doing the wrong thing. Law cannot make a heart good, but grace can. Paul gives us a game changer, doesn't he, in Romans 5, 8, when he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Intrinsic goodness, innate goodness, inherent godness in Jesus. Now, some of you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fruit of kindness, right? The word is Christos. Goodness and kindness are kissing cousins. They're very close, but they're slightly different. Kindness is indicative of a caring and compassionate disposition. In other words, if you're empathetic or sympathetic, very considerate and sensitive by nature of others, then you are a kind person. But goodness is that, yes, but it goes a little deeper. It goes deeper than sympathy for others. Goodness is a willingness to engage on behalf of others. Goodness, agathos, means that you're willing, I'm willing to work, to serve, to act for the good of others. In fact, in Galatians 6, Paul defines goodness as a mutual accountability to each other and personal responsibility. And he says, in no uncertain terms, that requires a deep sense of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less and putting someone else before you. This kind of goodness, this agathos, requires a deep sense of humility, an incredible sense of mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I've discovered that too much of my life, too much of our lives is quid pro quo. You know that term, don't you? Which essentially means, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. But the kind of goodness that Paul is talking about means that you will scratch someone else's back regardless of whether your back gets scratched. And Jesus takes it further, that you will scratch someone else's back even if they kick you in the backside. Then why do you do it? You do it for goodness sake, for heaven's sake. 
My, my mother used to use that phrase a lot, for goodness sake. Uh, I don't know if mothers still do. I think my wife did with our children, for goodness sake. Whenever I heard my mother say, for goodness sake, she was always shaking her head when she said it. And I knew I was always in trouble when she said it, for goodness sake. It reminds me a little bit of that old jingle. I don't know if you remember the old commercial from, from Martha White Flower, uh, one of the primary sponsors for the Grand Ole Opry. There were two, Dollar General and Martha White Flower. And there was a little jingle they used to sing before the Opry started as a commercial that said this, for the finest cornbread you can bake, get Martha White's self-rising meal, the one all-purpose meal, Martha White's self-rising meal, for goodness sake. Later, that, that commercial became, goodness gracious, it's good. That ought to be our song. That ought to be on the front of our sign out on Franklin Road, for goodness sake. That's why the church exists, for goodness sake. Not for my sake. Not for your sake. Not for, not for my group. Not for my party. Not for my denomination, not, not for my gender or race or status, no, none of that. Not for my welfare, my perspective, but for goodness sake, for the sake of the community, and especially, says Paul, for the family of faith. And I might add to that, especially, particularly, for the vulnerable, for the forgotten for the mistreated, for the abandoned, for the oppressed. When you think about it, when you think about the early church, it was goodness that inspired the church to care for the widow and the orphan. And many of you are still doing it. It's goodness, for goodness sake. It was goodness that caused a Samaritan to divert his journey and get into a ditch with a broken, bleeding man. It was goodness that inspired a little boy by the Sea of Galilee to give up his lunch so that Jesus could feed a hungry crowd. It was goodness that caused Jesus to reach out to a penitent thief while he himself was breathing his last breath. It was goodness that enabled the Savior to forgive those who nailed him to a tree. And it was goodness that raised him from the dead. It was goodness after resurrection that gave Peter a second chance. It was goodness that reversed the direction that a persecutor on the road to Damascus was going to do and turned him into a preacher for goodness sake. One of my all-time favorite verses, life verses, comes from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It's actually a part of a sermon that the apostle Peter preached to a bunch of Gentiles in Caesarea at Cornelius' house. Here's the verse. And Jesus went about doing good. Doesn't say talking good, though that's a good thing. He went about doing good. It's important to read that text in context, verse 38, or you'll miss the point. I just quoted the middle section of it. There's a comma on either side. You need to go to verse 38 to the first part of that. Listen to what it says. 
And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And thus Jesus went about doing good. That's a pretty important line. That means the source of good fruit is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, look at the other side of the comma. If you go, if you go to the back side of verse 38, Jesus went about doing good, listen, and healing all who were oppressed. The power source is the Spirit. The extension of power of God's goodness is to those who are oppressed. I looked up that word this week. You know what it means? In the original language, in the Greek, it means, oppressed means exhausted. It means you're worn out from toil and suffering. It it, it indicates those who are just weary from being overpowered. Some of you watched this week uh, a video conference that we did. If you haven't seen it, I hope you will. It's on our homepage. I interviewed Brian Hicks, who's our director at Harvest Hands, and Toy King, who's one of our marvelous associates. We talked together about issues of faith and race. I asked Brian Hicks how our neighbors over in South Nashville in that community in Napier, Sudicum, how are our friends doing? And he said, Davis, they're tired, they're weary. And Toy Toy agreed. He said, the pandemic has affected people of color in greater numbers, and we know that. The evidence shows that. And then the shootings. And then those horrible videos. And he said, frankly, the feeling that I get from my friends, both who are brown and black, they're tired. Then he reminded us on that video that when he started Harvest Hands, it's been 13 years ago, one of the great pro partnerships really of two zip codes coming together, many of you are involved. When we started that 13 years ago, there was a church in Memphis who had a man named Bob Montague who came to do some consultation with us. He himself had been a part of initiating a similar partnership in a community of Memphis called Binghampton Community. I've been there and some of you have been. Brian said, we invited him in, and all of us, that group from our church who wanted to do something special, uh, we all gathered together, and I wanted to ask Bob some questions. And so he said, I came prepared. Brian said, I came prepared with my notepad and my agenda and my list of things that we wanted to do in the neighborhood. And Bob listened for a moment, and then he sized me up, Brian said. And Bob looked at Brian and said, Brian, the first thing you need to do is get rid of your list. The first thing you need to do is put down your notepad. People don't need a program. People are tired of quick fixes and gimmicks and edicts that have no action and simple answers. I recommend, he said, that before you begin, you throw away your list and just listen Listen, for goodness sake. The first act of goodness is to put down your list and to listen 
goodness. How can we not think today in this message on goodness about our own lineage as Wesleyans? How can we not think of of John Wesley, this Anglican priest who was pretty simple in his three rules for the church, for his classes and bands and societies? He said it's just three things. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God. By the way, when you're out of sync with God, when I'm out of sync with God, I do harm and I don't do good. And to be sure, the secret to the first two rules is to stay connected to the source of power, to stay in love with God through acts of of grace, through, through Bible Scripture reading through communion, as we will do today, through fellowship, through prayer. Stay in love with God. Do no harm and do some good. In one of Wesley's sermons, he said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. I don't know who said it, but I agree. Good people are like candles. They burn themselves up in order to give others light. Agathos. Goodness. Some of you have been watching Netflix. Some of you too much. I read the other day, I think the number one Netflix viewing, Tiger King. Lord have mercy. Some of us have been catching up on our movies. You have. Has anybody seen Frozen 2? If you have little ones at home, the question is not, have you seen Frozen 2? The question is, how many times have you seen Frozen 2? Sherry and I have seen it once. We loved it. We still love Disney animation. It's a wonderful story about a kingdom that is trapped in a perpetual winter. Everything's frozen, everything's stuck, stagnated. And there's a king who has two daughters who together become the heroes that save the kingdom from being frozen. When we watch that, it's an interesting metaphor for what can happen to a culture when goodness is in decline. Well, I I tell you that because I want to talk about my favorite character in that movie. His name is Olaf. When you see his face, his picture, you recognize that he kind of looks like his name, Olaf. He's kind of a doofus. He's really goofy. He is, however, I'd say the most quotable snowman that I have ever known in my life, including Frosty. This man, all good things, all good things, he's always saying, There are three quotable quotes that I love from Olaf. The first is this. An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. That's good preaching. A second is this. Love is putting someone else's needs before your own. And my favorite of all Olaf quotes is this. Listen, decisions are hard to make. So just do the next right thing. Decisions are tough, so just do the next good thing. 
Well, don't look now, but it looks like that snowman has the spirit. The fruit of goodness is the character of love. Bishop Pennell, our own Joe Pennell, who's a part of this church, who served this church in the 90s, late 80s and 90s, then became bishop in Virginia, and now is back with us, he and Janine, in his ponderings column that he writes, he reminded us this week of a man named John Grande, who was a missionary to Portugal in the 16th century. History tells us that this man of faith spent his entire life organizing hospitals, clinics, engaging sick people. In fact, he established an order called the Brothers of Mercy, also called the Do-Gooders. At his funeral, after he passed, it was said of John Grande, he did good because he was good. He was good for goodness' sake. And don't you know he got weary? But he never tired of doing good. It became his nature. It was God's nature in him. And you could see it by our fruits we are known. Last word. I want to close this message by sharing a picture with you in just a moment, but I want to tell you about it before you see it. When you see this picture in just a moment, to me, it's a picture of the kingdom of God. Last weekend, in the protests that were taking place across the nation, indeed across the world, and even in Nashville, a friend of mine sent me a picture from Nashville that I'm about to show you. It was taken at the central precinct of the Davidson County Police Department. Things were tense. The police were out front trying to keep the peace. The protesters were there to voice their anger over this injustice and racism that is often systemic in our culture. And somebody snapped this picture. Two men praying, one black, one white, one protesting, one patrolling. But when you look at that picture, it appears to me as though perhaps these two men on two different sides have something in common. Something, that, something is pulling them towards each other that makes them family. Indeed, brothers. I'm told by the one who sent this picture that both of these men are devout believers in Jesus. And so here's what happened. One of them put down his sign and one put down his badge and they joined hands and hearts and prayed. Now I know that some of you may think that's a photo op. It isn't. It's a preview of the kingdom. It's a picture that reminds me that ours is a fellowship that has no sides. In the midst of chaos, these two men are praying to God 
for goodness sake. And it's a picture of coming attractions. <laughs> Toy King told me in that interview that her grandmother used to say to her every now and then, child, what we do down here is just a rehearsal for what's going to happen over there. It's important to rehearse well, for goodness sake. Would to God that it might be said of me and you, they went about doing good because they are good for goodness sake. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.